I feel I should try and do an impersonation of a musk ox. Um, and just stand here and maybe some smell or aroma will eventually get across to you. Um, and and I, I reckon there's a whole load of you that were thinking, I need to Google musk ox. Has anyone actually done it yet to find out what... The, one, two, three, four, five. There we go. Six. So if you remember nothing else from this conference, the musk ox will no doubt live. And there's bound to be some mention of it on the screen at some point, but there we go. Um, I wanted this afternoon to really honour the title of this conference, and I'm on slightly dangerous ground, partly because it's the afternoon session, partly because the things I'm going to share with you are familiar territory. Um, But the more I thought about the, the phrase, chosen for purpose, and I'm not sure quite who eventually came up with that phrase for the conference, I think it might have been Chris, actually, in the end. So we're going to blame you if this doesn't work. (laughs) But I just felt that this phrase um, is so packed with truth. So turn with me in your Bibles, please, to John chapter 15. And immediately these familiar words of Jesus in verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain or abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. I think this one verse alone, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should last, is so massive for chosen for purpose. It's so huge, you don't really want to move from this ground. Actually, when Mike was sharing, he was talking about a lot of things. I I was thinking, oh, could you say more about that? And could you say more about that? Because there were fundamental foundational things. And I kept thinking all the time of speaking. But if you move from that ground, if you move from the, the basis of those eight points, then it's so easy to go askew. It's so easy to keep on doing the same things, but actually from a foundation that, that actually is so vital. You can't, you can't move from some of these foundations. And I think this verse is huge in terms of God's calling on our lives individually, calling on our lives as churches. And let me just pick two things up from this verse. I think you read this verse and then you rush on to something else. I mean, the first phrase is one that you all know so when Jesus says, you did not choose me. How true that is. You turn to many passages of scripture like Ephesians 2 and the first few verses to describe you and me before we were Christians. And it describes us as, well, fundamentally dead. And, and dead people don't get to do a lot. They're dead. They can't do anything about their predicament. And so to become alive, someone else has to do something. And um, the fundamental issue for us is that we did not initiate this experience that we're now enjoying so much. Grace has saved you. Nothing of yourself. You didn't add anything other than your sin to what's brought you to the place where you are today, presuming that you are a Christian. It's undeserved, it's unmerited. You can't work for it, you can't earn it, you can't buy it. 
There's nothing in you that would warrant it. And yet, God's passion and glory is that, verse 4 of Ephesians 2 says, that though you were dead in your sin through the mercy of God, because of God's great love, he has made you alive in Christ. And so when Jesus is saying, you did not choose me and I chose you, that you might be appointed to go and bear much fruit. Listen, please, to this. so important. The root of fruitfulness is not self-effort. It is in his choosing. I'm going to say that again, because I think so, something took me years as a Christian to fully understand. That the root of fruitfulness, the assurance Will David Holden ever bear fruit? Will I ever be fruitful? It's not in my self-effort, but it's in his choosing of me. And that is so unbelievably liberating. It just sets you free. How am I going to produce fruit? Well, he's chosen you. And, and, and it's, the, it's this choosing of us, this initiation this making us alive that sets us free from striving and being driven and comparing ourselves with other people all the time and 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 and, and thinking it's dependent on my personality or on my talents or even on my gifts at root the only reason anyone in this room is ever going to bear fruit is that he chose you and you did not choose him And he chose us for a reason, this verse says. And the reason is he chose us to be fruitful. You and I have been appointed to bear fruit. You've been chosen for purpose. What is that purpose? It is to bear fruit. Now let's stay in this verse. Three things. Number one, if you are chosen, then you are appointed. There is no separation between those two truths. In other words, you can't be chosen and not appointed. You're not trying to get appointed. You were appointed the moment you were chosen. Put your hands up if you know you were chosen. Put your hands up if you know you're appointed. You should never put them down. Those two things go absolutely hand in hand. Second thing we can say about this is asking the question about bearing fruit. Will I be fruitful? Um, Well, the the answer to the question is, are you chosen? And what happens to a lot of Christians is that they begin to look in upon themselves to see if, if I'm worthy to bear fruit. Or they ask questions of themselves or they look back or they look at others. And the whole answer to this question is, will I be fruitful? Is, are you chosen? That's the only thing you need to know. So, Dan, you are going to be fruitful. And I'm sorry, but there's no other reason than the fact that you're chosen. Same for each one of you. I can pick you all out by name. You think, oh, really, me? Am I worthy? Well, you're, you're chosen for purpose. And the thing you're chosen for purpose is to go and bear fruit and well, will I re- and look at me, and, and if, you, if only you knew me. <laughs> the thing is that God absolutely knows you. And before you did anything, he said these wonderful words over your life, I've chosen and appointed. Don't put a little comma or anything, 
Chosen, appointed. You're chosen, appointed. You can't be one without the other. Will I be fruitful? Yes. Why? Because he chose me. The third thing is this amazing thing, that when you're chosen for purpose, the purpose that you've been chosen for to bear fruit is going to last forever. It is possible for you to bear fruit and yet look back and say, look at all the fruit that's been produced in my life. Look at your life right now and say, look, there's fruit. And here's the good news, fruit in the future as well. And I know sometimes we go through times of our lives where we think we're not bearing much fruit. But go back to the basis of this wonderful promise that you were chosen and appointed to bear fruit and fruit that remains. I do think as life goes by that the Christians that I admire the most are the ones that after decade, after decade, after decade, longevity, are still seeing the fruit of Jesus. And it's not because they've got famous ministries, and it's not because they preach from platforms. I look at some, I mean, we've got in my church, 89-year-old, 93-year-old, do you know, we had had a a lady, a 93-year-old Scottish lady from Edinburgh in our church, who was sitting next the the other day, three or four weeks ago, to a Muslim woman who cried all the way through the meeting. And she turned to this lady and said to her, are you all right? Are you all right, dear? (laughs) And uh, she said something like this, I don't know what's going on, but I've never known such love, and I've never known such joy, and there's something going on in this place, and I'm not sure what it is. And she turned to her and said, and she's a very frail old lady nowadays, she says, it's Jesus, would you like to know him? She said, I'm desperate to know Jesus. And so a 93-year-old lady possibly bears some of the most fruit ever in her life as she leads this woman to Christ. Four weeks later, she was sitting behind us, this lady, last Sunday afternoon. She's been born again. You think, well, by the time I'm 93, for goodness sake, what can I do? (laughs) We can sit in the right place on Sunday morning next to a Muslim woman. That will really be helpful. You're carried into the meeting as she virtually is. I mean, it's astounding. Fruit that lasts. Fruit that goes on forever. Appointed that you might bear fruit that lasts. Don't, please don't be a Christian and think the fruit's already been grown. Or I've been pretty fruitful at the moment. I wonder if I'll be able to be like this in the future. You will. You're chosen for the purpose of a lifetime of fruitfulness. What is this fruit? What is this fruit we're talking about? What is this purpose, this fruitfulness that we're called. Right? I think scripture really helps us. I haven't got time to go into the, every scripture, but just as a summary, and this is you we're talking about. This is God's will for you. And some of you are called to go and live in another country, and some of you are called to be leaders of something, and some of you aren't, and some of you are called to be married, and some of you aren't. And There's all these specific things over our lives, but there are general things that I can stand here to say, this is true of you. You will become more like Jesus. You've been destined, predestined to be conformed to the image. So what's this fruit I'm going to produce? Do I hear it right, right from the word go? You're going to become more like Jesus. You say, well, I don't feel much that I look like Jesus. And most of us would probably agree with you. But the issue is you're on a journey and that is your destiny to become increasingly like him. Fruitfulness is this long word, sanctification. 
It means that the destiny of every person that's been chosen and appointed is that you might become more holy. The destiny is that you might become and you will become a witness. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you witness, I'll make you fishers of men. I wish to see that as a threat. <laughs> oh, blow, I've got to follow him and then I'll become a fisher. And then one day it dawned on me, it's a promise. I don't think I'm being very fruitful evangelistically. Follow me. I will make you. Somewhere down the track, I'm going to be very fruitful when it comes to winning people for Jesus. The fruit we're talking about is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Every aspect of the work of the Spirit is your destiny. Moving in the gifts of the Spirit, moving in the power of the Spirit. And because fruitfulness is the thing we're talking about, above all the fruit of the Spirit, all those things that are declared in Galatians are what we're talking about in terms of bearing fruits. Your calling is to discover God's calling, to discover God's calling on your life specifically. To discover the part that you play in the church that you are a part of. It's God's destiny that you grow up and that you mature. It's God's destiny that fruitfulness for your life and mine is knowing this pure adventure of seeing God at work in you and through you and to others. It's God's will and destiny to become a disciple who disciples other people and to be a pioneer in an adventure for the rest of your Christian life. These are the kind of things that God has said over you because he chose you and he has appointed you to go and bear much fruit. How do we ensure that we are fruitful? Well, chapter 15 actually gives us the answer. Let's look together at verse 4. Jesus said, Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Verse 6 starts with, if anyone does this. Verse 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So when we ask the question, okay, I'm chosen and I'm appointed to bear much fruit, and I ask the question, how will we ensure that we will be fruitful The answer, and this is where I'm on dangerous ground softening, because many of you have heard sermons on this before. The answer is, he is the vine, we are the branches, he is the fruit producer, not you trying hard to produce fruit. In other words, why am I not being fruitful is never ever a mystery. The answer to why I'm not being fruitful is not necessarily some hidden sin in my life. It's not necessarily even anything that we think has caused this. It's that I've stopped abiding in the vine. And we can blame our busy lives, and we can blame our circumstances, we can blame the fact that I've got nine children under four, and that's the reason I no longer am really being fruitful in my life. But the issue for all of us, because we're chosen for purpose, is that we've stopped abiding. It's not a mystery. 
And abiding is absolutely crucial because it needs to become part of our lifestyle. People who do not bear fruit are not just Christians, they're Christians that have stopped abiding. Does that make sense? Being a Christian doesn't make you fruitful. Being a Christian who abides is really what makes you fruitful. There was a time in my life, I'm almost hesitant to say this, but after many years of being in full-time ministry, I, I just went through this time when I realized I was living on empty. And um, I was going through the motions, and, uh, uh, and many people from the outside would have no idea. They would think I was doing okay. I think when you, you're in full-time ministry sometimes, you know how to look as if you're doing okay. But I knew that I wasn't at all. My wife knew that I wasn't at all. And I went through a patch where I was, in all honesty, I, I'd, I'd kind of lost relationship. I'd lost that link with God. And I was looking for reasons as to why. I was trying to find the root. I need deliverance. I need whatever, whatever, whatever. And I had a sabbatical coming up. And um, I thought, well, good. I'm, I'm going to have a sabbatical. At least I can escape for three months. And uh, no one will have to know that I'm pretending anymore. And I began this sabbatical like as spiritually as... I know I'm not supposed to say some of these because I'm paid to do what I do, but I was spiritually at the lowest kind of point I, I can remember. And I, I said, well, on the day, first day of my sabbatical, Lord, here I am, as if I'm doing God some kind of favor. <laughs> Your servant is here, willing and able. And you know, nothing happened. And it went on like this for three months. Uh, sorry, it went on like this for three, it felt like three months. It went on like this for three weeks. And the wonderful thing was for me personally, I didn't know at the time, was that I felt God said to me, I want you to really get into the gospel. So I went to John. And at the end of three weeks, I got to chapter 15, and I started to read this passage of scripture. And it was as if I had never read this passage of scripture before in my life. Now, I have read this passage of scripture many, many times. I've even preached sermons I had done before this time from this passage of scripture. Good ones. I mean, really good ones. You know, ones that people came to the front and, and, and responded to. And it just hit me. David, this is not a mysterious thing. You've forgotten to abide. The reason there's no fruit in your life, there's no life in your life, there's no joy in, this, in your life, is you're still a Christian, you're, you're still a leader of a church, but you stopped abiding. And it was like that I stayed here in this chapter for the rest of the sabbatical, over and over and over again, making notes. And I don't even know if my sermons on this chapter are any better than they were before I went through this time. But what I do know is the reality of what Jesus was asking of me came through. I mean, just a, a, a few things for me were, the un, see the word if? I mean, it's interesting, it comes, the imp, application of this, the implication is, if you abide in me, I will abide in me. I mean, who doesn't want Jesus to come and abide in them? But it's like a, an if moment is a declaration of dependency. So what had I been doing all these times? I've been living apart from this. If I didn't need Jesus, I can do this. I'm a Christian. I know how this works. But it's humbling to realize 
that every time I choose to abide in the vine, I am saying I cannot live without him. I'm saying if I'm chosen for purpose to be fruitful, I can't do it on my own. I need you. And the word if is really important because it helps me understand. And I'm not saying this with any judgmentalism because I've been through it myself, right? I've just told you. But when I see Christians who, who are not bearing fruit or not struggling, this is the answer. Start abiding again. What does that mean? Practice the presence of God. Fellowship with him. Make this a priority, mums with nine children under four. Even in the midst of your busy life. Consciously practicing the presence of God, starting each day saying, I can't do this today without you, Lord. I need you. This conference, some of us were coming to this conference saying, Lord, we need you. We can't just do this conference. We're dependent upon you. And if there's any fruit coming out of this conference, it's because we're saying, Jesus, we are depending upon you. And every time I turn from independence, and say, I cannot live without you. It's a humbling thing. I'm saying, I can't do it without you. Look at that little verse, little hint there. Jesus says very kindly, oh, by the way, apart from me, you can do nothing. And it's that moment it really hits you. It's not only that we can carry on in our own strength if we want to, but we won't be abiding. He just tells us right, right there and then, apart from me, you can do nothing. I'd stopped abiding in the vine. I couldn't blame anybody else or anything else. It wasn't mysterious. It wasn't something that I had to go away and seek loads of counsel on. It was something that I had stopped doing in my busy, busy life. Going to meetings, talking to lots of people, reading lots of books, appearing to be successful spiritually and dead on the inside. And there's no fruit I felt God really said to me this afternoon to go to verse 8. And that this would be just the, the emphasis of the rest of this, this passage, this, this sermon, whatever it is. <laughs> this musk ox-like moment. <laughs> By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. We've seen already chosen for purpose is his choosing is the root of our fruitfulness and he's appointed us and we will be fruitful. Don't doubt that for a moment. It's going to come, it's going to last. But one of the outworkings of this is this phrase, and prove to be my disciples. Because one of the burdens that we've got here in this conference is that all the teaching and everything that we hear is so that what God puts in us is actually missional. You could turn from this passage, John 15, and say, oh, this is all internal. It's all about me bearing fruit and being in the vine and, the, and Jesus being in me. But the reality is it ends up in verse 8 by saying that you might prove to be my disciples. And we are chosen to bear fruit that our fruit might be seen, that we're on display. And the display is that I am a genuine disciple of Jesus. And so the calling upon us as individuals and us as churches is to make disciples. The calling upon us is that Scotland does not just need more new churches, although I'm convinced it probably does, but it needs to have churches that are full of individuals bearing fruit 
and proving to be disciples of Jesus. That is what's going to impact the nation of Scotland. And our working together as families of churches and putting a day like this is not that it ends in this day, but somehow through this day, through the teaching that Mike's given, the seminars and the prayer and everything else, it might bear such fruit in us that it proves that we are the disciples of Jesus, something that is seen. There are two things I want to say about this proving to be disciples. One is, I think, Jesus saying, if you produce my fruit, you will prove to people that you're the real deal. See, only real Christians can produce fruit that lasts. And the second thing is that it's fruit that's on display. Fruit is seen. Vineyards. We learned from Mike this morning that they grow in rough soil and not good soil. Sometimes when you go past the vineyard, you can't even see the fruit. And you get closer, and then suddenly your eye catches this cluster of Grapes, and then you look behind, my goodness me, there are grapes everywhere. It takes a bit of time for you to kind of see it because it, it feels hidden. But, but grapes that produce wine, in the end, they've got lots of leaves, but they're on display. It's something that you can see. Fruit is always seen. You can't hide fruit. Bad fruit or good fruit is something that's seen through our lives. Basically, when Jesus said that you might prove to be my disciples, one, it's that you are the real deal, no doubt about that. Secondly, because people will see the fruit of Jesus through you. Non-Christians need to see two things in your life. One is that you're authentic, even if they don't agree with you. There's something authentic about you. There's there's a world out there that's looking, looking for authenticity, And Jesus said, if you abide in me, basically, they'll see that you're authentic. You're proved to be my disciples. And the second thing that we see in this is that it is the life of Jesus through you that attracts them and not you yourself. You're a branch. (laughs) You're not the vine. And it's the branch that the fruits will see, just like in in vineyards, you see it, but it's not yours it's really his. I had the joy um, of having two days with a bunch of Chinese pastors just a week before last. Some of you even met them up here in Edinburgh. They're doing their Eric Little, Eric Little, Little tour, and uh, they, they went from you to do the Hudson Taylor tour, and they'd already done the Cambridge Seven tour. It was really exciting. We asked them lots of questions. They asked us lots of questions. The conversion rate in, in China is exploding, and it has done consistently for the last four or five decades. I mean, it's just never ceased. They, rec- they estimate eight to 10,000 people are coming to Christ every day. Every day. <laughs> you just go, please tell me what the key is. <laughs> What's the secret success? And Mike was talking about this so powerfully this morning. The simplistic answer is, our people love Jesus or something apparently, like that. Everywhere they go, the fruit of Jesus' work in their life is on display. These are people who don't know loads of theology. There are people that don't know lots of... They don't even have questions that everybody's trying to ask us. They don't even have them. For the first time in their life, they hear good news through somebody who's not just talking, but they can see the change and transformation in their life. 
the same gospel we've got here. It's the same kingdom. It's the same Holy Spirit. It's the same everything. It can happen here too. Multitudes of people. How is that going to happen? Well, one of the ways is they're going to meet real Christians. They're going to find the authentic. They're going to find men and women. And it's not complicated, folks. Please just keep abiding. And out of that abiding, this fruit will begin to be on display. Turn to Matthew chapter 7. Actually, most of this, last of this is going to be spent here in this chapter. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but are inwardly Inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their... Someone tell me the answer. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? You try saying that. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Are you the real deal? We can tell. The New Testament was full of false apostles, false prophets, false teachers, false disciples, but the deal is that they looked like the real thing. They looked real. They must have looked real because Jesus is trying to say they look like sheep, but they're actually wolves. They must have been so sheep-like looking. I just got this picture of musk oxes in my head all the time I'm speaking. They look like sheep. But they're wolves in sheep closing. So Jesus said, look, it's simple. There is a way to tell the real, the genuine from that which is false. It's fruit. And that's the one thing you can't produce. So that's the one thing that causes you to be authentic and on display to prove that you are Jesus' disciples. How can we tell what is genuine? Why am I asking that question? Because I think the end result of this is so much fruit is born from those who are chosen for the purpose of bearing fruit that the repercussions of this will just go on and on and on and on and on and on. I want to suggest to you three ways. The first is there are fruits of repentance. Verse 17 talks about a tree. The very roots of the tree are telling you what's good and what's bad. And if it's bad and it's good, they can't both produce the same kind of fruit. So it's to do with your roots. And the roots come from that moment of salvation. And out of salvation, fruit is produced represents a a, a change that's taken place at the very root of your being when you're born again and then all this fruit begins to appear. It's something that happens inwardly and then has outward transformation. Justification by faith is not the end of the story, it's only the beginning. And James says that faith without works is dead. What is he saying? He's saying the proof of conversion is it's visible. So some, I didn't used to answer this question like this. People say, can you tell that someone's a Christian? I think I've come to the place, yes, you can. You see, well, are we allowed to say you know, who's a Christian, who isn't? When the Bible's full of examples of how, well, one of them is they've got fruit. We've been talking about it all afternoon, so 
genuinely, yes, you know when someone's converted because of the fruit that's born out of their lives. But you also know, as we said before, that you're becoming like Jesus. You have a bias towards righteousness. You have a love for the word of God. You have a longing for more of the Holy Spirit. You have compassion in your heart that wasn't there before. 1 John 3 verse 14, well-known verse says, We know we've passed out of death into life in that we love our brothers and sisters. And so if someone becomes a Christian and they give up smoking, which is a good thing to do because it's not very healthy for you, it doesn't prove anything. You know, some, the kind of background I come from is that you know you've passed from death into life and that you have given up smoking. And then all the condemnation that came on all the Christians who smoked secretly. <laughs> oh, maybe I'm not a Christian then. I mean, it's just crazy how we ever get ourselves into this position. Here's how you know someone is born again. And I'm being slightly controversial, but here we go. They keep on smoking, but boy, do they love the brethren. Do you understand? It's very important what I'm talking about. That we are actually not judging what is the real fruit by our external thoughts. And if you're going to be the kind of church that I think Jesus wants to build here in Scotland, your meeting is going to be full of people who do not look like Christians are supposed to look like. I mean, Pete and Sarah are an example. They're sitting here this morning. But I think, they're, they're, you know, the fact that you can walk into, oh, I can know everyone's Christian. I mean, there's going to come a day when people aren't going to look like you and me, but they're born again. And there's still a whole load of other things going to be sorted out, but they know they're born again. You think, do you know what? They look, I mean, they don't look like Christians. Look at them. But I think they are. Why? They love the body of Christ. There's a bias towards righteousness. I love it. I love it when years ago a guy came to me, he got saved, and he was a clubber like, and he just clubbed morning after night. And I, I thought, well, at some point I'm going to have to have a conversation with him. He's been born again. You can't really. Some of these places he was going to are really not the place that you should go to. And within about three weeks of conversion, I was having a chat with him at the end of Sunday morning. He said, you know, it's really weird, Dave. He said, he said I, I just don't feel right anymore when I go to these places. I, don't, I just don't feel comfortable. There's something wrong. And he kind of looked at me, isn't there? I said, well, you tell me. I don't go to the clubs. You tell me. And he started to describe why. And on the inside, I was leaping up and down for joy without trying to express it. I was going, hmm. Why was I leaping up and down? Because no one's told him. The proof of his conversion is that something internally and it's so much better this way around, because if it was Christians, we have a load of rules and regulations. Thou shalt not go to that club. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of not going to do the deal, because on the inside, the person's only doing it because I've told them, and they feel condemned. Whereas they've got it on the inside, because it's fruit that's being born. Can you tell someone's a Christian? You can. Because things start to happen internally that then work their way out. You know you're a Christian because you long to share your faith with others. You... You're not perfect. You're a work in progress. That's why Paul says in Philippians 1.6, I'm convinced that he who began a good work in me shall hopefully one day bring it to completion because it seems like an awful long journey to be more like Jesus, but I'm convinced that that's what God's doing in me. It's a fruit of, of conversion. We are being changed from one degree of glory to another. The second is the whole issue of character. 
We kind of touched on it, but first is fruit of repentance. The second thing is character. And you know Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 to 23, talks there about the importance of the fruit of love and joy and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness starting to be seen and evident through your life. And the emphasis of the definition of being that you prove to be his disciple is not gifts, it is character. And character trumps gifts every time. Boy, do we need gifts. Absolutely do we need to be. We can't do this without the anointing of the giver of gifts. But at every turn, the proof of being a disciple is not your gifts. It is the fruit that you cannot manufacture. Apart from me, you can do nothing in and of your own strength. When are we going to learn this? When are Christians going to finally agree with Scripture? (laughs) That not just Galatians, but right through Scripture, every moment of it, every time, just constantly saying this. You know, the weird thing is, I think we're living in a generation where non-Christians totally get this. Because if, if it was all about gift, they're not very enamored by the gifts. In fact, they're cynical about them. Says, well, I, I, can, I can move in signs and wonders. Oh, yeah. Go on, then. It's kind of like, they're not enamored. Christians are enamored by gift. But the non-Christian world has seen through it already. What the non-Christian world are really impressed with is character change. Because they know you. You used to be like this. and You're going through exactly the same thing that I'm going through, but your response is completely different to mine. And how come? And this is what gets attention. I mean, my local church at home right now is, 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 is going through a, a remarkable time where we're not doing anything different from what we've done before, but we're just suddenly exploding, and not in the Chinese kind of way, but in an English kind of way. We're, we're just seeing dozens, and we plant a venue out, and in two weeks, the, the, the original building is full again. And, and it's just been going on like that for the last year. And, uh, and we're looking at one another, and we're thinking, what, how? Because it's interesting to find what's the thing, and the only thing we can come up with is the majority of these people are coming, because they're coming with Christians. They're unchurched, they don't understand, but they've seen Jesus in the life of people who are going through the same issues of life because they're all desperate out there. And through that testimony, they're coming along. That Muslim lady I mentioned earlier was a classic example of beginning to see Jesus in the life of people that was attractive. It's character that the world is impressed with not gifts. These false people were highly gifted. They were impressive. But the one thing they didn't have was fruit. Please, can I unburden myself and say, it's time to stop following celebrities who apparently move in gifts at a long distance away where you don't know them and you don't know what their family's like and you don't know what church they're in, and you don't know what authority they're under, and you don't know if there's any fruit in their life. I feel much better for having said all of that. (laughs) And yet we follow them. 
But we've heard he moves in miracles. So did all these people that Jesus is talking about now. He must be real because he's got a massive big following. It's difficult to do that. I, I spoke to one a pastor friend of mine who said, I feel that I pastor my people on Sundays and someone else does it the rest of the week. Because of all the accessibility his congregation have got to this person and that person and what they're saying and people are beguiled by gifting. Jesus is really hitting this one. He's saying, well, they may be very gifted, but they may not be from me. They may not be, because the fruit is the test of whether it's there or not. And I can say this because we're kind of churches represented here today that understand this sort of thing. One of the reasons God's put us in local churches as we have is because we get close to those who we follow. And I think that's a brilliant thing. Because you see them, and you know them, and you see them in their good moments and their not-so-good moments. Follow those who you know because they are bearing fruit in their lives. That's what the local church is all about. Ed Stetzer, a well-known commentator, author, and all-round good guy, um, and he is, made this statement recently. Christian leaders should look more godly up close than they do far away. And when that's reversed, it's a disaster. You understand what he's trying to say? It's powerful. If you just see them at a distance, you don't know them. But the closer they get to you, the more godly they should become. So Jesus goes on in Matthew chapter 7, and look at it with me there in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's just making this plea over and over again. The ones he knows are the ones that he absolutely believes are his because they're producing fruit in their lives. Let me just touch on one very quick thing before we get to our final point. And that is this, that there is this issue of weakness. And the issue of weakness is dependent upon the fact that we know that when we are weak, it doesn't disqualify us. In fact, it may be the very vehicle for more abundant fruit in God to be seen than ever before. And if you're sitting here today and you're thinking... I'm chosen for purpose, but I feel really weak. You are the number one qualification for being someone who bears much fruit for the glory of God. So the Apostle Paul said, well-known passage in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ I may rest upon you. I, I, this, these passages are, are, are like if you're in, if Paul's in the Premier League, most of us in the Vananarama lower thing or somewhere, because I might reluctantly <laughs> confess that I'm, I've got a weak problem, but I don't boast in my weaknesses, for goodness sake. I just let a few people see them, but I don't go around. He boasts that the power of Christ might rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, 
I am content <laughs> with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. He's learned the lesson, hasn't he? For when I'm weak, then I am strong. And Paul was saying this into a church context where other apostles were invading and coming in and out of the Corinthian church. And these other apostles were working in signs and wonders and miracles. They preached great sermons with great authority. Maybe they were better preachers than Paul, but they were moving in gift. They were moving on all these different things. And when it comes to who shall these people follow, and is Paul the real deal, Paul doesn't appeal to his miracles or his preaching. He says this, here's the badge of apostleship, weakness. That's how I know I'm the real deal, I'm actually weak. And folks, that was the one thing that all the super apostles and prophets never ever owned up to. It was all to do with their own perpetuation of everything. Weakness is a wonderful, wonderful place to get to if you want to be chosen for purpose. Here's the third and final thing with this we close. Hearing and doing the word of God, I believe also is a proof of being a real genuine disciple. You see, hearing and not doing has consequences. Let me take you back to Matthew chapter 7. Without you knowing it, I've virtually read the whole chapter. And uh, Jesus says this, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell and great was the fall of it. The thing I'm trying to communicate with you is the fruit that is important, that is genuine, is going to make a difference in the nation of Scotland through our lives is fruit of repentance. It's character that's more important than gift. And then it is this hidden desire in each one who are genuinely his disciples to want to do the things that we hear. And Jesus is talking to a bunch of people who are all following him. This is not a group of people who are disciples and non-disciples, or in our context, Christians and non-Christians. He's talking to disciples, and he's talking to Christians. And he's dividing us into two groups. One group are hearers. And the other group are hearers and doers. One group are hearing lots of truth and teaching, good. But the other group are hearing and are doing that which they have heard. And hearing and doing has massive consequences, as we see from this passage. It demands action when you hear things. And a person who is chosen for purpose has within them, and that's every one of us here today, I believe, our longings, not that we always do what we hear, but there's this longing to always want to do that which we hear. So it works like this. Dan Hudson is preaching at King's on Sunday morning, and he preaches the most outstanding, I'm sure he only ever preaches outstanding words. And this is an outstanding, outstanding word on the sovereignty of God. So he preaches his heart out. You know, God is sovereign. 
in control of everything. Nothing happens in our lives that he doesn't know about. And he's a faithful God. And he, and, and he, um, uh, he will always keep his promise and he'll never leave you or forsake you. So you hear it. On Wednesday, some calamity happens. Unexpected. Unforeseen. And it hits you. And for some people who heard the word, it goes like this. I'm in a calamity. This has really hit me. I don't know what to do. This is overwhelming. I'm caving in. The storm is getting greater. The floods are coming. The wind is coming. Sounds like Edinburgh, doesn't it, on a Saturday. And everything's coming in like this. And before you know you are, you've caved in. Here's another person who also listened to Dan Hudson on Sunday. And it's difficult. It's exactly the same. It's just awful. And I didn't see this coming. And it's a bit overwhelming. And, but I heard something on Sunday about the sovereignty of God and his control of all things. And as my head goes down, it starts to turn. Because I remember that, Lord, you are sovereign. This wouldn't have happened without your knowledge. And you know everything. And I don't understand it. And you're a faithful God. And your promises are true. And you'll never leave me or forsake me. And the circumstance hasn't gone away. But I'm on a rock. Because I've heard the word. And now I'm beginning to do the word that I have heard. And it's as simple as that. You... You all heard the same word, but if you only hear it, it's of no value. A true disciple is someone, Jesus says, who hears, hears my word, and you don't crash when the storm comes because you're a doer of the word that you have heard. <laughs> What's God saying to you at the moment is a classic Christian question. I honestly feel that really is what it should be. What are you doing about what God said at the moment? It's quite different. It could be from a preacher, it could be from friends, conversation, your own devotions, it could be a prophetic word. What are you doing as a result of what you're hearing all the time is vital. So Mike Betts gets up on a Sunday morning in the great city of Lowestoft. You must go there. They either win or come second of the best beach competition in the whole of the nation. A round of applause, please, for Lowestoft. Very important. Beautiful. One of the nation's best-kept secrets. And uh, so he's up on Lowestoft, and he's preaching a word on Sunday morning, and um, his text is, and he preaches on forgiveness and the importance of forgiving those who have offended us. And you hear it, you hear the word. And as you're hearing the word, you might be getting convicted by the word. And it, and it's, it is very convicting. You think, oh, just wait. this is amazing. I, I'm going out of here really convicted by this word on forgiveness. Do you know it means it's of no value whatsoever if you go, don't go and do something about what you've heard, which is literally you go to somebody and say, do you know what, I, I want to ask you for forgiveness. Or would you... Give forgiveness to me because I've held this thing against you. And the moment you do that, the word that you heard has then become a reality. And I can just think of so many examples of people who hear words and then don't do them. And what I'm trying to say out of this is, this is chosen for purpose. I actually think a lot of Christians want to do something, but they just don't get round to it. And a classic example is, you know, a preacher on finances. 
And uh, so the guy preaches his heart out. It's a brilliant word. We're all convicted. And it doesn't make the slightest bit of difference to the financial situation of the church. We've been hearers of the word, but we've not been doers. I preached um, uh, a couple of Saturdays ago a whole day on renewing the mind uh, to three or four churches in North London. I have absolutely no idea whether it was fruitful. I, they, they, they seemed to not like what I was saying all day, four sessions. And they wrote lots of notes in their notepads. But you know writing notes, which is a really good thing to do, by the way, doesn't prove anything. They're just notes in your notepad. And then less like the early church who devoted themselves to teaching, which means they went over and over their notepads until they got into what they felt God was saying to them. It's really of no value. The only, the only fruit that would come out of that day of teaching on, in North London on Battle for the Mind or the Renewing of the Mind was that people start to implement the things that we taught on so they then became a reality in their lives. I, I personally think that conviction is overrated amongst Christians. You know, I'm surrounded by people who are convicted. So? I know some friends of mine who have been convicted for years. <laughs> That's why I think conviction's overrated. Because conviction that doesn't lead to action is not the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And so when I say it's overrated, it's because I think Christians are always talking about, you know, well, I'm not condemned because there's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, but I am really convicted. Ah! Neither one, do something. You can't do anything about condemnation, it just makes you feel worse. But conviction is meant to lead into action. What's God saying? Rather, what are you doing about God's, what God's saying? That is bearing fruit. That is real fruit. Can we stand, please? I'd like you to close your eyes just for a moment. And I would like to ask the Holy Spirit just to come and seal his word in our hearts. If you are a child of God, here's amazingly good news. He has chosen you and he's appointed you. He's not just chosen you, he's appointed you. What's he appointed you to do? What's the purpose of his choosing? That you might bear much fruit. Lord, I pray for anyone here today, right now, who's separating their choosing from their appointment, asking the question, will I be fruitful, when the answer is clearly yes. We delight in your choosing. It's the root of the absolute certainty that I will bear fruit and not in myself, and fruit that lasts. And I pray right now this afternoon, is anybody here, like I have testified to where I was a number of years ago, still Christians, still coming to meetings, but not abiding. You've been chosen for the purpose of abiding. And Lord, I pray for anyone here who's dried up, going through the motions. We don't need great hours of counseling. We just need to solve this one mystery. The reason is you've stopped abiding in the vine. I pray for you today, any of, you, any of us, just to turn and have the grace to say, 
you're right, Lord, apart from you, I can't do this. I leave my independence. I come again and choose to live a life. Mike said this morning, the inward, the internal is so key for anything that follows. This is a similar word. Forget all of these other things. If there's no abiding, there really won't be fruit. And isn't it wonderful? Jesus said, if you abide in me, I will abide in you. Just the God of heaven will abide in you. It's amazing what life will be produced as a result. Holy Spirit, I just ask you right now to to come to us without any striving, without any pretense to realize that when you say, by their fruit, you will know them, that this room will be full of men and women for the rest of their lives because they're abiding in you, because you've chosen them, will produce much, much fruit. We ask for churches in Scotland full of individuals who are producing fruit that's on display, that men and women, ordinary men and women, will look at our apparently very ordinary lives and see Jesus and see fruit that we cannot produce of ourselves, and the testimony will be, you're the real thing, as Jesus, you said, by their fruits, you'll know that we are the real thing. Lord, deliver us as a Christian community from this falsehood of somehow thinking that being gifted is more important than character. I, I believe, Lord, you're doing it. I, folks, I believe there's a day coming soon when the celebrity thing is really being nailed once and for all. We're tired of it. We're tired of the fall. We're tired of the damage. And God is taking his life into very ordinary people like us. We're not celebrities. We're ordinary, weak people. And it's through the body, it's through the church that surely miracles and signs and wonders will be done through those who know they are weak and those who know they're dependent upon God. I pray for us, Lord, if we are those who hear your word, we'll begin to be doers of the word and that we will begin to see all the things you speak to us becoming a reality in our lives. Hallelujah. Amen.